0: Welcome back to Emerging, a podcast series created by students at the Community College of Beaver County. I'm Sarah Guido, and in this episode, we had a discussion with Dr. Roger Davis, the president of CCBC. He shared his wisdom on how remaining joyful can impact your life and what he's learned from his experiences. This is Joyful Connections.
1: Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of CCBC Emerging. Today I have with me a very special guest, the president of CCBC, Mr. Roger W. Davis. I want you to introduce yourself and kind of give us a little bit of background of what the president of CCBC does and what that entails, kind of what your role is on campus.
2: Okay, well I am the chief executive officer of the college And the chief executive officer of the college has primary responsibility of ensuring that the mission, the vision, and the values of the institution are met. And so I've been doing this position for going on three, four years now. Uh, I have been at the college for six years, though, because I started at the college as the executive vice president and chief academic officer. And so I was the person in charge of all the faculty and the classes, and the courses, and everything like that, all the academic programs. And halfway through, about two and a half years in, my boss, the uh, old president, Dr. Reber, got a new job in New Jersey. And so the board looked at me and said, you're it. And so I've been put into the presidential position and I'm having a ball. Uh, but overall, I'm the one leading the vision for where CCBC should go.
1: What is that vision?
2: Yes, so that vision entails primarily, first of all, we have, I always focus on the four key performance indicators, Uh, and the four key performance indicators are enrollment, retention, satisfaction, and fiscal health. Uh, We have a completion metric, but we don't necessarily count the completion metric or graduation metric because it is considered a lagging metric, or it takes a long time to calculate graduation. Most students have no idea of that. Um, And so we're working on, of course, increasing our enrollment, um, our satisfaction. We want all the constituents that work with the college to have very high satisfaction with our institution. We are trying to retain our students so that they stay and complete their degrees here, of course. And of course, fiscal strength is we must be able to pay the bills, right? So you have to make money and be able to pay the bills to keep the college running. So those are the four KPIs. And then along with that, we are attempting to... Provide educational and academic programming for the region it's not just beaver county we really are servicing the region. And so, when you talk about the key programs at the institution or some of the programs that have been here or the signature programs you're talking about nursing which this next year will celebrate 50 years of nursing excellence. You're talking about the uh, piloting program or aviation school, which is already celebrated 50 years, two years ago, and that includes uh, private piloting, it includes air traffic control, and it includes aviation administration or management. And then the new upcoming program at the college, which I believe is one of the signature programs is the process technology program. And you see on our campus, the Shell Center for Process Technology It is the newest building on campus. It looks a little different than other buildings because it's so new, but it's attached to an older building on campus. And I think they've done a marvelous job of trying to get the look the same. And process technology is really about how do you manage a process of creating something, right? Whether it is, food and beverage, or whether it is how do we turn wastewater into clean water, or how it is that we turn gas into plastic pellets. That is what process technology is all about. And in in this area, we alone have about 40 to 50 companies just on our advisory board for process technology. So it clearly is an industry that is looking for workers. And so we're the only accredited uh, National Association of Process Technology Programs within 300 miles. So I think those are three of your large programs at the institution that students are really um, embracing and moving
1: the college to help you moving the college forward. Awesome, awesome. Yes, process process technology is very, very important. Now, something I want to segue into is because ever since I came to CCBC, everybody always asked me, you know, what brings you here? How did you get here? What was your path to CCBC? And for me, it was a very Long and winding unorthodox road. So that's, that's what I want to ask you what, what did your pathway to CCBC look like?
2: Well, it's the same It's long and winding. It's very unorthodox. Uh, My career started in adult basic education and GED instruction, long time ago, and, um, and I always dreamed about working in higher education, right, I went to a college in in Maryland on the eastern shore, and it was the only 1200 students that went there. So it's smaller than even this campus. And um, it was one of the best experiences you could ever imagine. Like if you wanted to do anything, you could do anything you wanted to do. I mean, anything. And so you, I have friends still today. My friends for life are the friends from that institution. And so freshman year, you know, we're going cow tipping in <laughs> <You know>, the <laughs> middle of the night. It was on a farm. So the college partly was on a farm. And so we'd go cow tipping in the middle of the night. We'd do just crazy things. We'd go to Denny's and eat and then run out, don't pay the bill. You know, you did college <laughs> stuff. It just was crazy because you didn't have any money, you were broke. We, we went to a buffet, I'll never forget, in my freshman year. And we literally sat there, ate, took a nap, woke back up and went and ate some more. You know, it was just the college time. But, but I fell in love with that experience so much. I was like, I want to work in a college, you know, in a college university. And so I started with basic education in GED. And then um, the first job that I got in higher education was in honors. I was the assistant director of an honors program. And I got to work with honor societies and students that were honor students, but they were at risk and they needed help getting back on track and all that great, great, great student experience. And then I kept going through school and I got my doctorate and I said, okay. And then I jumped for a moment and I went and went and worked for an internet company, really strange, in Las Vegas, Nevada, okay? So I got up and moved all the way to Las Vegas, Nevada, and I had the best time of my life. And I was the guru for higher education in, in this small company that this wealthy man owned. And eventually he sold the company and I left Las Vegas and I came back to Maryland and I worked at the University of Maryland Global, it's called Global Campus now, it used to be called the University of Maryland University College, it is the largest institution on the East Coast, it has 90,000 students around the world in uh, Europe, Africa, Asia, and in the Americas. And I started working there and then all of a sudden I got a promotion and I went and worked for the chief academic officer and I'm, I'm literally, he and I are helping run the worldwide campus academically. And it was the most fascinating experience. And then finally, I said, well, I want to go back to my other, back to the school where I came from. And I went back to that school as a finance person and I did finance. I was in charge of like $100 million. And these are just all these experiences I was getting there. And then I jumped and I moved to Atlanta, Georgia where the people are nice and the tea is so sweet there in Atlanta. And I worked in Atlanta for approximately four to five years and I worked for a for-profit institution called Bowder Bowder College, it's no longer open. But it was an institution that uh, um, I, I think gave associate degrees and bachelor degrees. But what was interesting to me, they were in things that you would never think of. They were in fashion design, fashion merchandising, they were in criminal justice. They were in interior design, right? They were in business. And so they, and I worked with some of the most sometimes economically disadvantaged young people that lived in Atlanta, Georgia. It was the hardest work I've ever done in my career, but the most satisfying. So from there, I left there, moved to New York. And I went to Rockland Community College, which is part of the SUNY system. SUNY State University of New York system is the largest higher education system in the world it has 64 colleges in its system alone and i got to work in rockland rockland county is next to uh, westchester county which i always tell people is uh where the clintons live and um it also is the first two uh counties outside of new york city right so those are the first two counties outside really in new york city and so the town is beautiful tony morrison lived there um Jonathan Demi, the he, when he was alive, he lived there, created Silence of the the directed Silence of the Lambs. Uh Rosie O'Donnell lives there. And I of, you know, just one I got a picture of her. She wasn't very happy at that. You know, so it was really just beautiful town on the Hudson River and loved the work at Rockland. And then finally the president announced that Rockland he was retiring. And I said, Oh, gotta go. Right, because I've been somewhere where presidents president has retired and it's very difficult for the change. Left. And I came here, I didn't know anyone here. I had never heard of Beaver County. I saw the ad, I sent my resume, I interviewed like everyone else interviewed and I landed the job. I came here, I made a presentation to the whole college. <laughs> I like think they would look at me like I was crazy. Like who is this young man with all this energy? They did not want to let me you know? <laughs> and I got the job and so that's my way here. And i would never heard of Western Pennsylvania. I never knew what Beaver County was. Um, but it's been the best and most professional and warmest welcome I've ever received in my career. And I think that's why I'm still
1: here. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Dining and dashing with Mr. Davis. (laughs) (laughs) But does this feel like home to you of all the places you've been? Uh, No, no, probably
2: Las Vegas feels like home. And I always say that because I think to me, I kept wondering, why is that? When I fly to Vegas, I always feel very much at home there. I think it's because the first place I moved away from your parents home and i think anytime you move away to the first place i think that's what you feel is home because i never put my finger on why it is it is warm i feel like it's warm (laughs) it is warm there but i never can but i finally thought it through and i think i think it's because i i was finally independent
1: there for the first time in my life okay and now i'm gonna dig a little deeper (laughs) if you don't mind just just a little deeper than the surface i want to ask you Is there something along your journey Mm -hmm. that you struggled with, whether that be a mindset or was there something along the road that just kept popping up that was an issue for you? Mm -hmm.
2: Um, I've had very, very difficult supervisors, I think, along the way. Um, And I mean, difficult people to work with. Uh, and I have, I always believed, used my charm. I've been persistent. I've used mother wit. Um, and when I've had to, I have moved the chess pieces to move them out of the way. Uh, and I, I I, think people sometimes, you know, they oh, he's so nice. I didn't get here just to be nice, because I was nice, right? You have to be very strategic, I believe. And you, you're not gonna let people just run over you, right? Um, but there are strategies you must put in place for your own survival, for your career survival, uh, and for your advancement, right, if you're going to advance. Uh, and so um, I've had supervisors, and it, very interesting, just things that very interesting happened to them. I always make this joke, like, God, I think four of my supervisors died. And I was like, I'm not working any roots on anybody, you know, but they just died, you know, and part of it, I always wonder. If it's just karma, you know, you know, if you're, you know, things you're doing, karma come. I always says I make this cliche: karma knows your address, right? It's gonna find you. Um, but, but I think that's been my thing, where over and over again, you just keep saying difficult people, and I think there's an art and a science to dealing with difficult people. Yes. In other
1: words, don't mess with Dr. Davis. Well, I always say that. I say that.
2: I always made this joke. I, I mean, there's a. Uh, I, I was a keynote speaker at the NAACP dinner. Two years ago, and I told my story about New York and how this man uh, was after me in New York at the college. He just would not relent. And every time he had a chance, he sent an email to the whole college about me. I was a supervisor, and he didn't like me and what I was doing over and over and over again. And I always said to him, I said, you dig one hole, you better dig two. One for me and one for you. And at the end of the day, he was arrested for stealing $2 million of the uh, union's money. He got arrested, put in jail. And I'm still sitting there like, told y'all, I told you. you know. So you know, it's those type of things that you look, when I look back on my career, um, because at the end of the day, I was there for the right reason. I was there for student success. I did my work. I celebrated people. I didn't have agendas. I went home with a clear mind. And at the end of the day, I believe I was there to do the right thing.
1: Okay, and that, that brings something else up that I wanted to ask you about. Talking about that doing right for kids mm-hmm. and, that um, what drives you? What uh, what what wake? What is the reason why you wake up every day? What keeps you waking up?
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe um, um, my mom passed just uh, a month ago, early October. Uh, when I was three years old, she saw me on a television show called "A Child Is Waiting," and she adopted me off of a television show. Her and my father, and uh, I, I was chosen out of the Lafayette projects in Baltimore, Maryland. I look back on my life and I realize most likely I would have been in prison, uh, just because of the circumstances. And I know my Aries personality (laughs) would have got in trouble. Uh, And so the odds are incredible of where I've landed. And so I believe it is in my heart of all hearts that I believe that if I can just turn a young person's light bulb on, nobody can stop you, no one. Uh, and I had that experience in my freshman year in college. I did not like school. I was, I, I hated high school. Um, I, I was not a great student. I could have been a great student, but I chose not to be a great student. I graduated like a 2.2 out of high school. So that's why I always tell people, if I can get president, I might be a president, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I got to college and I ran into this incredible faculty member by the name of Dr. Adele Newsome. And she taught English 102. I was in English 102 with her, uh, which primarily is essay writing uh, based on fiction, right? You read novels and you read things and you you learn how to write the essay, the critical essay, that's what it was, critical essay. And um, she was an incredible teacher. And I was in her classroom being stupid, making jokes in the back, being a clown. And I'll never forget, she looked at me and she says, either you act up or I'm going to give you an F. And I look at her and I did the traditional (laughs) college thing, which was, I don't know who you think you're talking to and I just let into her, right? And everything. But she was dead serious about she was going to fail me. And so my goal was I was going to show her. And so I worked as hard as I have ever worked in a class. And so what she had at the end, she had this thing where she would announce people. She says, "Um, if I call your name, then you don't have to take the final exam. And she called my name and I was like, what, you know, so I had worked really, really hard. And from that moment on, the light bulb for higher education and for education was turned on for me. And I went straight through to the doctorate and graduated at 28, like one of the youngest people I ever at the college that I went to. So that was my light bulb moment. And I'm trying to replicate that for everybody else <laughs> as a president and so,
1: Um, Since our our podcast deals a lot with school issues, I want to ask you, in your college experience, what was your your biggest takeaway that you could impart to us that are still going through the college thing? Oh, do everything! I'm telling you, go and do everything that
2: you can do. I did everything. I wrote for the school newspaper. I worked for SGA. I helped with homecoming. I was on the gospel choir. I wrote plays at the school and wrote musicals and produced them. The whole college came to them. I run into people now. I'm like, are you still writing plays? You know, that, I mean, I did everything. I did residence life. I was an RA. I was a student director. I was in charge of six buildings at one point. I did everything that I could do that was uh, I was eligible to do. If they gave me an opportunity to do it at that college. I did it. You know, I go back there now, 20 some years, 30 some years later, and they still know me. They still remember Roger Davis because I was so involved. And so that's the experience. You'll leave there with experiences that you'll never forget. You'll make friends for the rest of your life. Even if you transfer, you'll still make friends for the rest of your life. And um, those friends, uh, my, I told you, my mom died. 19 of them showed up at my mother's funeral from around the world. Like, that's, that's, that's what college is really all about. They, they give you connections and deep roots that if you ever become unstable, that's the group that will prop you back up, right? That's the group that will bring you back up.
1: And that's why I think I love my college experience, so. I was talking to Sarah Sudar the other day. Professor Sudar, yes. yes. She tells me you wrote a book.
2: I did. <laughs> I did. I did. I wrote a book entitled The 30 Most Powerful Words in the English Language. This book has been sitting with me for probably 25 years, and um, I kept the book is so old. It took it was been sitting so long that I used to fax. Y'all don't even know some of y'all don't know. what fact, I used to I fax the, the pages to people. It it was on a floppy disk. Y'all don't even I me. Mean, I don't know if people even know what a floppy disk was. It started on a floppy disk, you know. And um, finally, during the pandemic, I finally said this book is going to leave this cloud is in the cloud, right? It's going to leave the cloud. And um, I, um, Dr. Katie Thomas uh, was one of my editors, along with two other of my friends, they edited the book. And i never forget, Dr. Thomas said, this book has the voice of a preacher, a professor, and a poet. And she says, and Roger, it has to go you know, and I was terrified, you know, because it's like, it's like when you have a baby and you show people your baby and they go, oh, oh, they're supposed to, say, you know, they're supposed to say, oh, beautiful baby." sometimes they don't say it to me, oh, bless his heart, right, you know, they say that, so, so I was so nervous, I was so nervous when I, and I published a book on January 1st of this year, this year, and I was just nervous, wreck. Right? and when the, the, residual checks come in i'm looking like who, who bought the book it is so <laughs> it, is, it is so shocking some days it is so shocking some days to see the checks and see the response i have an email set up people write me and they write i ask at the end of the book to write a word that's your empowerment word you know and people literally write me their word and say oh your book has helped me and here's my word i'm going to infuse this word more into my life because language yields Things, right? And so if you use language correctly, your life tends to move in a different direction. How you talk to yourself, how you talk to others, it changes things, right? People people say, you know, it's a thing that they can say something to you at the right time in the right moment that will crush your life forever, right? And I said, that's true, but you can also say the right thing at the right moment that will lift someone for the rest of their life. And so the words in my book are these empowering, powerful words that I'm hoping will help people move their
1: life forward. And I may be asking you about the whole publishing thing in the future because I do want to get into book writing. But I am super glad that Sarah got to join us. And Sarah, would you like to ask anything of Mr. Davis?
0: Um, Well, I read your book. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, And I went to the book talk last year. So I know you wrote about 30. What do you think is your most influential word in the English language?
2: Joy. Joy. I try to live a very joyful life. It's the first word in the book, in Mm -hmm. fact. So I do my best to try to live a joyful life. Life is very short. And it's very, I think the pandemic I was trying to get at the new student orientation, if you remember, the theme was survivor. I was trying to get the new students to understand you just survived a global pandemic and we are still here. There are, it's 700,000 people that have died across the world and growing and we're still here. And so if we do not intentionally live a joyful life, I don't know why we're here, right? And I think you've seen that now. I think you've seen across America, you see people quitting, right? They're not going to work. The work has sucked their joy and they're like, I'm not gonna do that anymore um and so you're seeing people choose um, more intentional things that helps their life be more vibrant more more um, open more energetic and that's what life is about i always say if you're there's a lot of words about um slavery the things i'm saying loose yourself from right let go that's the book talks a lot about that do whatever it takes to get out of bondage of this that or whatever right i tell people people um complain about their childhood. You hear a lot of people, friends talk about childhood, childhood, how childhood. Well, then we live your childhood, right? You have an opportunity to do that. If you didn't get to fly a kite, you go fly a kite, right? My mom didn't let me go skiing. I'm going skiing in a few years, right? She didn't let me go on this trip. I never forget. it was devastating. I don't know why, but it was devastating (laughs) as a child, right? If you didn't have great parents, go to a senior citizen home, find people that you can adopt there. Be intentional about what will heal you and what will hurl you forward that that's what the whole book I really think is about.
1: Yeah, Mm
0: -hmm. and that is that is truly so powerful and thinking about that as a college student it's so easy to get bugged down in Like just the grudge of it all, but trying to find the joy within your professors and with the classes and trying to find your takeaway um, it's definitely a learning process breaking away from like I have to wake up for school, I have to do what but being intentional about yeah. when you're waking up when you're doing all your things it's
2: you got to find ways to put it in there right yeah Whether well, there's brewster's ice cream you're oh, like i'm yes. treating myself on this day if i can get this paper done i do a lot of that myself mm-hmm. i trick myself into doing work that i don't want to do <laughs> right? as president there's <laughs> yeah. things you just don't want to work on you know my vice president for communications Ooh, she actually convinced me to sign up for these two articles I had to write. And I was dredging writing the articles. And I have an English degree. I have an English degree. I'm dredging writing these articles, right? But but what I did, I tricked myself. I'm like, well, if you write the article. You can go to Mission Barbecue in Robinson and get yourself that that um, salmon that you'd like and the mac and cheese, you know? And I literally sat there like, oh, I'm gonna get the mission. I can just get the... And I'm, so those are the things that I did just to intentionally embed joy. One thing I have to tell is college students, you will, it will, you will blink and this experience is over. It it is the quickest experience in your lifetime. And it some days I know it feels like a journey that you just never is gonna end. When you look back, it, it is faster than you think. You almost want to go, I'm gonna go back to college later in life. But it's very quick. So don't I know you think it's not, but it's the quickest experience you'll go through. So so hold on. That's why I was times, just hold on.
0: Yeah. Um, and try to re- remain present too mm-hmm. in like where you are now yes. because, like, right now I'm thinking of transferring, and all I'm thinking about is when I need to submit my applications, when those deadlines are, when I need to move in, when I need to get all of my things ready. But it's trying to remain present in like, I'm still living with my parents, like, sure. I'm at a community college, like, I'm here now, and you need to like. Still think about looking ahead, but you can't discredit what you're doing now.
2: That's right. Little by little makes much, right? Yeah. I would say just you're doing a little bit at a time. You're doing a little bit of time, but if you think you have to take it in these big chunks and these big bites, you're overwhelming yourself. It's just too emotionally taxing to do it that way. That's why it's just little steps at a time, right? I do I do something every day on these goals I have. I, one of the tricks I tell college students, my, oh, I had my phone. My phone's my, my my. It's not my yearly goals. My decade goals are on my phone. With the goals I want to accomplish for the decade. So every day I turn on I have to turn the phone, on, I have to look at these goals. They haunt me, right? So so to me it's but I go, oh, if you just work a little bit at it at a time, right? But if I'm just trying to hit one goal and hit home, no, I'm never gonna do that, right? It's just too hard. But so it's little by little really makes much. And so if you can just do something every day on something, it gets there at the end. So that's one of my frustrations with my old friends. I'm like, Did you work on anything today? No. <laughs> Last week? No. The week before? No. But then you'll never get little by little makes much. And then the deadline is right there and you're in a panic mode.
0: Yeah. Um, so, now that you are the leader of a college, what has been one of your biggest um, gains from this leadership position?
2: The personal gains or professional gains? Um, or... Either.
0: Hmm.
2: I I think one of my professional games was right when I took the job. So um, they made me acting president and I'm not going to say that, but a foundation that had helped fund the Shell Center uh, was going to withdraw their money.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, And so all the money's on the table. The building is a debt-free building, right? So it's it's paid for. Uh, And all the money was on the table. And when the president resigned and moved on, they were like, oh, I don't know. We want to give now. You know, there's no leadership. It's not stable. And um I was I was taken to lunch downtown, very fancy place. And they had told me they said this is going to be the most difficult lunch because the program officer um is very thorough. She's very rigid. She um most likely is going to go right at you on, you know, what the future of the colleges and everything. So, you know, I'm like, okay, breathe. One, two. Deep breath in deep breath out right breathe and i go there and i don't focus on the college at all i focus on how are you where, where have you been where are you coming from what's your degree how did you get to this this foundation and by the end of that conversation she was like oh y'all got the money right and i it was one and and the two gentlemen that were with me they were still working they looked at me like how in the world did you do that right because what's on the surface is never what people are talking about, right? People are ever angry at you, they're not angry at you about what they're talking about. It's something always under the surface. And so I went to write what's under the surface, get to know her as a person, you know, and really what what she does on a daily basis that's motivating her. And once I got there, I was, it was golden. It was just such a, and it was a truly golden conversation. It was just about life in general and, and her life and my life and And I think at that point, she trusted me. She saw, oh, I, I really trust that he would do the right thing if this foundation was forward. And so, as you can see, the building is beautiful and the building is up. So that did that was very successful. That's one of my proud moments, and I wasn't even fully the president. I was just the acting president at yeah. that moment. Um, and I'm very proud of that. And I think the second one is how I handled the pandemic. I think um this campus is safe, and people are alive because of the work I did with my team to handle the pandemic. I was on vacation when it was all kind of crashing down.
0: Oh, really? And
2: I'll never forget, I was sitting in, I was in Ohio. I was taking like a vacation in Ohio and I'm in Ohio and and the hotel stopped serving food and put a sign on the door like, we're closing the restaurants and I'm watching not only what's happening in Ohio, I'm watching what's happening here. And I'm seeing my team struggle and everything. And I said, this is your time you must grow up you you need to leave this vacation you know you know you gotta be, be put on big big pants here you have to leave this vacation and I, I abandoned the hotel and i came home and i told my team to be in the cafeteria the next morning close the cafeteria down it will just be us and we will plan to figure out what we're going to do with this college and i i never forget as i said most likely we have one day to get everything in place, to evacuate, probably, or to figure out what our plans will be. We got there by that afternoon at 3 something, the governor said tomorrow all public facilities will close. And it was the most intuitive decision I think I had made in my career was to leave that vacation and come and, we were there, and that morning we were taking computers out. People were taking computers to their house and we were moving everyone out. We drove computers to students' homes. We were moving everything in place um, by that next day. But I knew for some reason we had 24 hours. Um, and so that's probably my second most proudest moment so far.
0: Yeah. Um, and what is one of your biggest struggles with the position?
2: It's not the work I've done in my career. Um, my career has been a career of, I folded the programs, I set up the computer, you know, I welcomed people, I put the chairs down, I folded the tables, I took the trash off the table. And when I go out and try to do that, my team tells me, go sit in your office. And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, because um, if I do that, I'm taking the work from other people. Mm-hmm. Other people want to do that. Um, and so that's been very difficult for me. I'm a servant leader, so I like to go and help. I like to go and help, uh, and that's not the job. The job really is uh, the vision and the voice. Mm-hmm. And so my job is no longer to set up the podium and the mic. It's just to come out and say welcome, and then go sit down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so it's just it's different work. It's different work. One of my friends said something very magical to me. He said you've done a career you 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 now get to deserve the benefits of this right. type of work you don't have to do that other work anymore and so that was a hard to hear but it, i very much appreciated that that comment so i try to embrace that more that it's okay that i'm not cleaning the, and i'm still cleaning the dishes in my own president's suite i did that don't <laughs> no watch i was putting the dishes in the trash can you know but it's okay if i don't do that that is but it's difficult for me because I, I I don't want to be seen as a slacker. Right? Yeah. I don't want to be the slacker.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one of my final things I want to ask you is, so what is one thing you would tell your 19-year-old self?
2: No, what, personal or professional?
0: Um, I would say both, if you have both.
2: A personal, buy real estate. <laughs> <laughs> buy more real estate. Really, I, I look back like I, I bought a home at 20... 6, 25, 26, I bought a brownstone, funny, I'm writing a dissertation and I buy a brownstone and have to renovate it. I don't know why I thought I could renovate a house mm-hmm. and write a dissertation. I did, I did, um, and I think I was tired of the, the writing and I wanted something different. I wanted a, just something different to do. So here I am, I'm, I'm literally sanding floors with a machine and something I know nothing about, but I just wanted to do something different. And when I look back, I was so ahead of my time when I look back like, why didn't I just keep buying real estate? You know, because I literally fixed this four-level brownstone, you know, you know, got it painted, renovated it, did all this work on this brownstone. And then the brownstone, maybe three years later, sold more money than I've ever seen in my life, you know. And so I'm like, why did I do that? So that's my personal thing. I always tell, buy real estate. So even then, buy real estate. <laughs> you know, uh, my godson um, uh, father died and left him money in a trust. And I think at 18, uh, he'll have money available to him. And I'm going to be going to see him to talk about, you need to buy real estate and set up a real estate company because it will give you residual income for mm-hmm. the rest of your life. Yeah. You know, that you can put in investments and you'll be retired faster than anyone if you just use that money correctly and make that money make money for you uh professionally I don't know because my journey I still believe my journey had to go through the winding roads and the hills and the obstacles to be where I am I always believe that um Ayana Van Zandt says in one of her books that the road to your journey is a curved road because If it was a straight road and you would see at the end of the road who you would become, you would go crazy to see how great you would be. So it's curved so you can just see little glimpses at a time of your greatness. And so I don't know my professional journey. I still believe it's where it should have gone and where I'm ending, where I'm supposed to be. So I don't know professional advice, what I really have, because at the end of the day, like I always tell people, it all works out.
0: Yeah. Remaining motivated with um, when you look at other students or other people in their in the workforce, it, you always feel like you're a step behind or you're not where they are or they're more successful. And using that saying that is a curved road mm-hmm. and just remaining focused on maybe you don't know where your end goal is, but mm-hmm. it'll find you. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I love Yolanda's story is a credible. She talks about a 20 and 30. Her friends were driving Mercedes mm-hmm. and you know maseratis and they had all this money and here she was a single mother with two kids dragging them along she felt like such a loser and she was comparing her life to others and then she says and here at 40 something 50 something she's a multimillionaire. they're divorced they're dead you know so she says so your journey is where your journey is supposed to be right don't compare yourself to anyone because i'm telling you at the end i still it all works out it's supposed to be for whatever you're supposed to go through And you don't learn the lessons unless you really go through them. Mm
0: -hmm. All right.
1: We appreciate so much that you came to talk to us today and thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. That's it for this episode of emerging a podcast series created by students for students. Thank you to Dr. Roger Davis for sharing his wisdom and what he's learned along the curve road of life. Be sure to read the 30 Most Powerful Words in the English Language by Dr. Davis to learn more about the impact that words have in our lives. As the president of CCBC, Dr. Davis inspires me to strive for my own greatness and to remain joyful along the way. Thank you again to Dr. Davis and thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode.